This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. I love it. I need it. Couldn't live without it. You can hear The Drive weekday afternoons, 3 till 6 on WSJS. So glad to have you on this Wednesday drive. It is WSJS, News Talk Sports for the Triad, where we finally have a date where we can legally say, send me that cash app, family, here in the state of North Carolina. Send me that cash app, family. Mobile sports betting will officially launch March the 11th, the day before the ACC tournament tips off. So budget accordingly. Getting to the Carolina Panthers coaching search. Before Mike Rabel reportedly comes to town tomorrow, Bucks OC Dave Canales and Rams DC Raheem Morris are both in Charlotte for in-person second interviews as Canales seems to be the coach that many experts are connecting to the Panthers job. Now, with that being the case, let's dive into the good, the bad, and the unknowns with him that go beyond, hey, did you know he spent a lot of time with Dan Morgan? Let's start with the good. He has a great track record with quarterbacks. The Panthers need somebody that can elevate Bryce Young so they get the most out of the investment that they've made in Bryce, mortgaging their franchise to him. His one year with Seattle as Geno Smith's quarterback's coach. Geno Smith was top 10 in the NFL in passing. His one year in Tampa this past season so far. Baker Mayfield, top 10 in the NFL in passing. He's been around Russell Wilson. So along with Baker, he didn't have an issue working with undersized quarterbacks such as Bryce Young. So he does seem like an offensive fit. Here he was last week prior to the Lions playoff game talking about his offensive philosophy. I I, I never really go into a game saying we're going to pound the rock or saying, hey, we're going to spread it out and rip them. I try to go into the game and say, what are they giving us today? And then, you know, this was going back to Pete, you know, the way that he trained me. He was like, you know, we were always known as a running team, you know, playing good defense and a running team. But for him, he was never telling our coordinators like, hey, you got to establish the run. That was never his message. He was like, I don't care about that. Score points. You know, and if it's a day where we're moving them up front, the backs aren't getting tackled and we're getting sixes and sevens early, man, it's going to be a good running day. You know, and if it's a day where, you know, their defense is a little bit off in their coverages and guys are getting open. The quarterback's in rhythm. Our protection looks great. Man, we can go attack them in the pass game. A lot of talk about the run. So while a lot of people, and we're guilty of this, we just did it a second ago, are focusing on the quarterback play, the Bucks, number eight in the NFL in rushing this past year, too. So figured out a way to run the ball as well. That's the good with Dave Canales. The bad. The Panthers do not have the personnel to run his offense from this past year. Maybe not the offense that he even ran in Seattle. He had two great receivers in Seattle, Doug Baldwin and DK Metcalf. He has two in Tampa with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Carolina does not have those horses. But you can replace receiver talent easier than a lot of positions in the league. There's a lot of receiver talent all over the place in the draft, in the middle rounds, in free agency. This is the bigger concern for me. Like Thomas Brown's offense this year, he seemed to run outside zone Shanahan-esque scheme, which Carolina does not have the offensive line for currently. Don't want to get too bogged down in X's and O's, but let me put it like this. When Steve Wilkes was successful down the stretch of the 22 season and winning games, He identified a great run-blocking offensive line. Ike Aquanu, excellent at that at at NC State. That's why he was picked sixth overall. Brady um, Christensen, good at it too, went healthy. He was healthy that year, his rookie year. Bradley Bozeman did it with the Ravens very successfully. Taylor Moten, good at it as well. He thought, and rightfully thought, power run was the way for them to win. Then Thomas Brown comes in. It's more outside zone, requiring linemen to get to the perimeter, get to the next level. It's a lot more lateral movement for your line. And Bradley Bozeman, a good example at center, 
That's not who he is. He's not that athletic, but he can push you around if you have a power run game. Can Dave Canales have that type of offense next year? Maybe, but he hasn't shown that on tape the last couple of seasons. Certainly not this season with the Bucks. So that would be a concern. If the answer to that question is no, we're still going to run outside zone concepts, well, then you probably need new linemen. And those are harder to find, which means that could take more time in a rebuild. And the clock is ticking on Bryce Young's rookie contract. So that's the bad. The unknown is this. He's been a coordinator for one year. It's a small sample size. Again, we don't know yet if he's the type of coach that can apply a style to the personnel and change that up year to year based on the roster that he has, or if he's a coach that this is my style and we need to find people that fit with that. We just don't know. We haven't had a long history with this guy as a play caller play caller and running offense. However, Carolina does deserve credit with this. They had a good eye for talent last year when it comes to Ben Johnson. They were mocked. The Lions OC is the coach that you guys like a lot last year. He's only been a play caller for one year, and this is the guy you like the most? That seems to have aged well. Carolina might be trying to do the same thing. If you had the option to hire Ben Johnson a year ago, assuming he doesn't withdraw his name from the process, as he did, would you be cool with that in hindsight? Absolutely you would. Maybe we're talking about Dave Canales, the way that people were talking about Ben Johnson right now, a year from now. Carolina, pretty good eye for up-and-coming talent. Here's more from Dave Canales talking about his preparedness to become an NFL head coach. Your film is your resume. And, and again, you know, this is something I've been thinking about for a long time. And so I have some stuff prepared that I've had for a couple of years and really fortunate to have been with Pete for 14 years, you know, and his approach was always grooming us for what the next thing is to continue to expand our mind and, and be prepared. So when, if these opportunities come up, we're ready to talk about philosophy and, and football and all those things. Dave Canales, out of the coaches who have interviewed for a second time for the job. My favorite of the candidates. Between him, Ajiro Evero, Raheem Morris today, and even Mike Vrabel tomorrow. On X, WSJS Radio. It's where we're streaming video in addition to YouTube and Twitch. Will Dalton, the executive producer of the show. WD, you watched Rounders for the first time last night. Your movies for next week are down to four. Taxi Driver, Predator... Blood Diamond, Whiplash. Which of the four would you like to watch? What is the movie you're rooting for? I think I'm rooting for Predator. I've been hearing about Predator since I was in, like, first grade, so might be time I take a look at it. Predator, 34% of the vote right now, slightly in front of Taxi Driver, which has 30% of the vote. Whiplash, not far behind with 22%. Blood Diamond, probably not going to win this poll. Getting to college basketball. When it comes to Duke, listen to what I'm saying carefully. Duke is a national title contender, dot, 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 when they are healthy. Because throughout the year, they have not been. You might think that sounds like a small thing. Okay, Josh, when they're healthy, sure. But they've really struggled to stay healthy at points this year. It's not just one guy or even two guys. Several players on this team have been out of the lineup for giving games. Last year, it was when everybody was playing. Derek Lively missed some time last year. And everybody was healthy that they really started to go on a run. And I think that's possible if everybody stays in the lineup for this stretch run the last month and a half of the year. The Blue Devils, they've lost four games this year. Half of those games were with the full complement of their roster. They've only lost twice with having everyone available. And here were those losses. Arizona by five. That was a great game. At Arkansas by five. On a night that they broke their attendance record. Both those games happened in the first month of the season. So, Duke's a young team. They've grown a lot since then. They're not losing when they have everybody available. 
The other two losses, at Georgia Tech, the game after that Arkansas game, Tyrese Proctor went out two minutes into the game. Pretty important guy. Pittsburgh, last week, you're not missing. The good news is Tyrese Proctor was in the lineup. The bad news, Mark Mitchell and Jeremy Roach missed the game. And Roach has missed games this year. It's a problem for Duke. But when they are healthy, nothing in the ACC is scarier than when scary Duke appears. And it's happened in flashes this year. Last night, we saw it. They were up 18 in the first half on the road at Louisville before that that lead shrank. Shrunk. Nailed it. We've seen this almost every game with Louisville now. NC State looks like they're good, and then they're not, and then NC State has to hold on. North Carolina looks good against Louisville, then it's down to five, and they have to close things out. Duke very similar last night, but they did have that stretch against Syracuse. Shot 75% in the second half of a game against Red Autry's team. Eight for eight from three. They were leading by 25 on the road at Pittsburgh a few weeks ago. John Shire, he spoke about the importance of having Roach and Mitchell and Tyrese a part of the mix as they get set for the final month and change of the year. Night, uh, Flip, Mark, and Tyrese in particular, uh, going through last season, you know, we were in moments like this last year and the wheels fell off a little bit. And so for them, they were the main ones talking in the huddle. They were the main ones. No surprise, the three of them were in the game. And that's who Jeremy's been. And I think that's what we missed with him being out last game. And for that beginning stretch when he was out, he's been that guy just to provide um, poise and confidence. And uh, really the three of those guys stepped up in a big way. I wish there was a way we could just fast forward to February the 3rd. If Duke wins at home against Clemson at Cameron Saturday, they're 12th right now. They should be in the top 10, which would set up a top 10 matchup with the Tar Heels. Not this weekend, but next weekend in Chapel Hill. These are the two teams in the ACC that look like national title contenders and have a shot at winning the ACC. Don't count out Duke yet. Don't write them off. You're on the drive with Josh Graham, WSJS. We'll get back to the Carolina Panthers coaching search in just a few minutes because right now, oh, we mean business. Every week, we welcome a special Wake Forest guest to the show, and we figured it'd be a good time to give Steve Forbes a breather breather with uh, Wake basketball having the rest of the week off and Steve Forbes doing a ton of recruiting. And when I look at my watch, I look down, I see 23 days until opening day. So let's talk some baseball. And lo and behold, the man in charge of the preseason's number one team in the land, Wake baseball coach Tom Walter, joins us now. Coach, after breaking through and getting to Omaha last year, how much different are your thoughts at about this time a year ago versus today about the expectations that are attached to your team and how your guys might handle them? Well, like, thanks, Josh, for having me, first and foremost, and for all you do for Wake Forest and, and uh, college sports. But, um, yeah, pretty much the same. You know, we, we're super transparent about our goals for this team and the expectations of this team. I mean, we want to go further than we did last year. And I know we got a bunch of returners that are really hungry to make that happen. They feel like we didn't put our best foot forward in Omaha last year, and they want to get back there and uh, and play well. It is. You say that so subtly, but there isn't much further you can go. So when you say things like, hey, we want to go further than we did last year, that's there's only one stage that's farther than that, isn't there? Yeah, no, for sure. Last year was a magical year, and I, and I certainly want, don't want to detract from that because it was it was special, and it was a special group of guys. And, you know, we miss seeing Rhett Lauder and Brock Wilkin and Cam Manassi and Justin Johnson and Seth Keener and Pierce Bennett and Tommy Hawk. The list goes on. We, we miss those guys here. But at the same time, you know, we've got a new team, and they're working their tails off, and they love each other. Like, our thing I love about our team, Josh, more than anything else, is just how much they care about one another. And I think, you know, it was really neat last year when that showed up on a national stage in that way, and this team has kind of taken that and run with it. Any coach I've ever talked to says that they remember the losses more than they remember the wins. Given the way it ended with arguably the greatest college World Series game in the modern history of the tournament, 
How often do you find yourself thinking about Tommy White's at bat and extra innings? How long does it take to get over that? I, I don't know. I'll never get over it. Um, and I think about it every day. I mean, I think about the Merrick Houston bunt play and, and what we could have done different, how we could have communicated that, how we could have prepared for that better. You know, I think about the at bat with Tommy White. I, you know, I think about Nick Kurtz. If if we had known his his rib was cracked, maybe we had been able to give him some time off. You know, before Omaha, and and maybe we get him through that game. And that's the difference. You know, so little things like that. I think about you know really multiple times every day. NIL and the transfer portal are still fairly new concepts, and it feels like fans are just now wrapping their arms around them, at least in terms of understanding it. Like, I think they get it when it comes to college football and when it comes to college basketball. However, college baseball is a different sport with different scholarship structure and a different kind of draft. How would you describe the process in 2024 of assembling the puzzle when it comes to roster construction? Yeah, so the, the minute the plane landed in Omaha, you know, we got to work in the portal because we knew we were going to lose guys in the draft. We lost 10 as you know, and and so we had big pieces to replace both on the mound and, and in the field. So, and we knew we weren't going to be able to do it with with guys who were only had only been in our program. So, you know, immediately upon touchdown, we spent the next 30 days, you know, really living in that portal and figuring out what pieces we needed to add. And and for us, the first box they have to check is they, they have to add value to our to our clubhouse. I, I told our team not that long ago, like it used to be good enough if you were super talented and you and you made a difference on the field, but, you know, you didn't add value in the clubhouse that you could survive here. And it used to be if you added value in the clubhouse, but you didn't really help us on the field, you could survive here. And those days are gone. I mean, we're not that team anymore. And uh, so you've got to be a guy on the field and a guy off the field for us. And so for us, the, the, the biggest key in the portal is just making sure we're bringing in guys that are going to fit in with our team culture. Wake baseball coach Tom Walter is with us here on WSJS. You led me straight there. What was the pitch to the nation's top transfer, fireball pitcher Chase Burns, who comes in from Tennessee? What did that look like? Well, it was, it was three parts to it. Part number one was, you know, the pitching lab. I mean, that that stood out to Chase. You know, he's very development-minded, you know, so he was very intrigued by the biomechanics of the pitching lab, the, the analytics of the pitching lab. And, and our pitching development program, which has been so good the past few years under Corey Mascara and, and his team of folks there. So, you know, his development as an individual pitcher was one. But the second part was, you know, we had played them in the fall, Tennessee, and then we saw them in Omaha. While we didn't play them in Omaha, we were in the same bracket and we were playing on the same day. So their team saw our team play quite a bit. And uh, and then, you know, Chase really liked the, the culture that he saw. He really liked the, that camaraderie and and he kind of wanted to be part of that feeling. And then the third part to it was, you know, when he came to campus for his visit, he spent a ton of time with Josh Hart. I mean, I think Chase was here probably about, you know, maybe 40 hours, and I think 38 of those hours were spent with Josh. And, you know, Josh's recruitment of Chase was a big part of this. You know, Josh, you know, A, first and foremost, Josh letting us know that Chase fits right in with our team. And then the second part to that is Chase understanding that he's got a built-in kind of ally and friend and, and another number one, you know, he wanted to come here and pitch with Josh and be the best one-two punch in the country. In what way is this team most different than last year? Because it just seems like you replace Rhett Lauder, as hard as that is to do, with another guy who's as capable as Chase is. You keep Josh Hartle, and you got so many other parts that are similar, too. Yeah, we're similar in a lot of ways than last year. I think we're going to run a little better than we did last year. I think our team defense will be a little better than it was last year. You know, we're not going to hit as many home runs as we did last year, although we should we should hit our fair share. But, you know, anytime you lose Brock Wilkin, you're going to lose some some power production. I mean, there's just no replacing a guy like that. So but, you know, the thing I do like about our team, which is very similar to last year's team, is, you know, we're kind of a veteran team. We brought in Adam Tellier from Ball State, Tate Ballestero from St. John's, Austin Hawk from UNC Chapel Hill, Cameron Gill from Wofford. You know, these are guys that that had great success at the places they were. So they've kind of been there and done that, and they fit right in with what we're trying to do here offensively, um, you know, with our approach. It is Wake Baseball coach Tom Walter. Online, GoDeeks.com. You can get tickets. 
Did I read right? Chipper Jones is going to be coming to town in the next few weeks? Yes, sir. Chipper Jones, uh, you know, maybe after Mickey Mantle, probably the greatest switch hitter in, in uh, Major League Baseball history, but um, but in a, in a Hall of Famer, obviously. So, yeah, Chipper is going to be here on February 17th, opening weekend for us. And we've got Illinois that day at noon, and then we've got Chipper that night at 630. Wow. So really excited about having him. Shout out to the guys that roll the quad for the work that they do. 23 days away from the start of the season. Uh, any thoughts, by the way, on a Major League Baseball note on the way out? On the Hall of Fame class we learned about yesterday, um, Joe Maurer going into the Hall. You want to talk about great third baseman, Adrian Beltre, uh, getting in as well. Uh, it's it's It seems like a wonderful class that's going in again. Yeah, for sure. Joe Maurer's got a special connection to Wake. His sister played volleyball here at Wake Forest. Um, so um, that's a he's got a Wake connection. And then Beltre, I'm so glad to see really both those guys get in because, you know, those, both of those guys, you know, for the most part played in small markets. And, they're, and, the, and what they did was more consistency of, you know, they didn't have those like MVP type years, but they were just so consistent for so long. And, and those two guys, they're kind of the consummate professional baseball players. So I, I was thrilled to see both those guys get in because of what it says about who they are. And I forgot one, Todd Helton, of course. I mean, if we're going to talk Tennessee for a second, I mean, former backup quarterback to Peyton Manning. I remember David Cutcliffe would tell me great stories about Todd Helton, and I lived in Colorado for a little bit. So congrats to him, too. Who knows? Maybe some of the guys that you've coached here at Wake are going to end up getting similar calls, like a Rhett Louder with the Reds or one of these days, Brock Wilkin and many others. Best of luck in preparation for the start of the year, Tom, and thank you so much for making the time for us. Thank you, Josh. We appreciate you. There goes Tom Walter, Wake baseball coach, number one team in the country, joining us. The Looking at tonight's slate, the Carolina Hurricanes, they are in action. The Canes are facing the Boston Bruins tonight on the road. We'll get back to the basketball in a bit. Fine, I'll move on, WB. Jeez. Speaking of basketball, NCANT, they are not at home this week. But the next time they're at home, you can go see the Aggies. It's time to show your pride at the loudest and traditionally most challenging place to play and all of D1 hoops, or at least one of the ones. It's right up there, and it's in our backyard, the Corbett Center, home to the Aggies of NCANT. Register for a chance to win tickets at the upcoming home games at WSJS.com. What are you waiting for? Your chance to win tickets at WSJS.com. Dave Canales isn't the only coach in Charlotte today interviewing for the Panthers job. We'll tell you who else is and why that who else doesn't seem to be a great fit. Next. Let's go, baby. What, kind of like this? Let's go! Go! The Drive with Josh Graham. Got my underdog fantasy lineup for tonight's hoops action that we'll get to shortly. Let's get back to the NFL, though. You should be skeptical of coaching interview news that we see across the NFL. Not that they're legit, but whether or not every single coach that is interviewing for these jobs are being seriously considered to being head coaches, that's another conversation. Jeff Darlington of ESPN just put this out on his Twitter page. Sources. After Mike Vrabel meets with Falcons owner Arthur Blank at Blank's home later today in the Atlanta area, he will fly to Carolina tonight to meet with the Panthers on Thursday. That seems like a massive bombshell. The Panthers are considering Mike Vrabel? But this presents a few questions. Number one, did Mike Vrabel interview for the job last week? Is this a second interview? Or is this... A first interview. The Panthers apparently did all their first-round interviews virtually, even though with some of the coaches that didn't make the playoffs, like Brian Callahan, they could have done them in person. They just chose not to do so. Have they already interviewed Mike Vrabel virtually? Because that name hasn't been connected to the Panthers at all until this report. Could this be a smokescreen? WD, didn't you notice what happened a few days ago with the Titans? 
Brian Callahan, they got a guy, was set to meet with the Panthers yesterday morning. That might have put some urgency into the decision makers in Tennessee to say, no, 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 we're not going to let you get on that plane. We're going to hire you now. It seems that the Falcons are big game hunting here. Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh, Mike Vrabel, all interviewing for this job. Could this possibly be an agent reaching out to Jeff Darlington to say, hey, after this conversation with the Falcons, we're going to Charlotte, we're going to meet with the Panthers, when really their intent is, hey, we're putting the pressure on Atlanta. Do you want us to go to your division rival? (laughs) Is that what you want? We're going to get on a plane. It's very likely. I'm just saying we got to welcome that as a possibility because when I look at Mike Vrabel, Everybody says, this would be a home run hire. This would be outstanding. And I think he's a really good X's and O's coach. Does he meet the criteria that Carolina seems to have for the coach? Number one, he's a defensive guy. Carolina interviewed 11 candidates in the first round of interviews. Six of the 11 were offensive coordinators. More than half. And again, that includes the two internal candidates Carolina interviewed. So... Mike Vrabel does not fit that. He also is known to have a brash personality, can run up against ownership. How's that going to go with Mr. Concerts, David Tepper? How are those personalities going to coalesce? And this might be the most important piece. WD. Frank Reich was a head coach in the AFC South for five years. Do you know what his career win percentage in the AFC South was? I I don't. 54.5%. If you were to round up on that, I'd say that's a 55% win percentage, wouldn't you? I I would say that. Oh, actually, whoa, whoa, whoa. 54.7 rounds up for sure to 55%. That was Matt Rule, or pardon me, Frank Reich in five years as a head coach in the AFC South. Mike Vrabel's been a head coach in the AFC South for six years. His win percentage, 5.45. It's actually a tick lower than Frank Reich's win percentage in the same division. Didn't Carolina just do a retread where they hired a coach from the AFC South? Now, there is one key difference. Mike Vrabel won playoff games, went to the AFC Championship game. Mike Vrabel's record the last two seasons, 6-11 and and 7-10. You're going to hire a coach that the last two seasons has gone, let me do the math in my head, 13-24? and That's what you're going to do. It doesn't seem like the greatest of fits for Carolina. I think somebody should hire him. I think he's a really good coach. I don't know if Carolina is the fit. I feel very similarly about Raheem Morris, who's interviewing today with the Panthers. I hope he gets a shot. Everybody seems to like the guy. Like, listen to Les Snead, the Rams GM. This was part of a three-minute rant, him vouching for Raheem Morris, the Rams DC, getting a head coaching job. He's coaching the defensive room. He's actually coached in an offensive room. And whether he was a mentee learning, whether he was partnering with people, whether he was mentoring and leading others you know those great tampa defenses that great uh atlanta offense that nearly pulled off a super bowl win i mean he was in the offensive room he was in those defensive rooms so there there's not many coaches uh on the planet right who's been in both of those rooms on those two sides of the ball i know this he'll be able to hire an unbelievable staff every coach who's any good who's qualified who wants they're going to want to work for raheem and i'm pretty sure there'll be a lot of tampering charges because just about every player in the NFL is going to text him and want to come play for him. Oh, I'll let the NFL handle that. Oh, yeah. Okay. You hear that? If the Panthers hire Raheem Morris, teams are going to be, players are going to be breaking their backs, racing to get to their phones to play for a 2-15 and football team. They can't wait. They're so excited. Why? Because Raheem Morris is the coach. And he says, there's not many coaches that have offensive and defensive experience. And he's right. That does make him a great coach that should be considered for head coaching jobs. Like I think he'd be a great fit in Seattle, for example. Perfect fit there. But not for a team that already has a great defensive coordinator that came from the Rams. <laughs> not, not for a team that needs to lift a quarterback, ex- have a quarterback 
be elevated because that offensive experience he's mentioning, he was a wide receivers coach for a few years in Atlanta. That's not play calling. That's not working with quarterbacks. It's a little bit different. Uh, so I, I have no doubt he seems to be a great coach. Same thing for Mike Vrabel. Just doesn't seem like a great fit here in Charlotte. But speaking of Ajiro Everell, Joe Person is reporting that the Atlanta Falcons have a second head coaching interview with him. Seattle, a second head coaching interview with Ajiro. And if that surprises you at all, Kind of like with Mike Vrabel, this might be some gamesmanship here. You might have noticed Jacksonville, they have a defensive coordinator opening. They requested to interview Ajiro Evero for that opening. You know what the Panthers did? They said no. They can block that if you're looking to hire a coordinator, if it's a coordinator interview. Here's a workaround of that, though. Oh, we're just going to interview you for our head coaching job. Can't block that. So then... Let's say the Falcons are interested in hiring Mike Vrabel or Bill Belichick, which seems to be the front runner for the Atlanta job. Bobby Slowick getting a second interview too with the Falcons. If you find this interesting, could Atlanta be trying to assemble Bill Belichick as a head coach and pairing him with Bobby Slowick and Ajiro Evero as an offensive and defensive coordinator? And they're bringing in an OC and a DC not to hire them as the head coach, but to try and pry them away for coordinator jobs. Could that be happening? Do you think... Slo- I don't know. Do you think Slowick would go from the situation he's in right now as an OC with C.J. Stroud to Atlanta to be an OC, though? To work for Bill Belichick? Yeah, but... Just throwing that out there. He just made the playoffs with C.J. And maybe Arthur Blank's opening up his checkbook in a way that the Houston owner isn't. Uh, if you Let's just say, if you think it smells funny that a Giro Evero... <sighs> And Bobby Slowick are going for the same job that Bill Belichick wants. <laughs> You're right to think that that smells funny. It's the drive with Josh Graham, WSJS. When I think about my favorite Matt Damon movies, Matt Damon. Goodwill Hunting comes to mind. The talented Mr. Ripley. Have you done that before? Well. Of course not. The Departed, which I know you've seen. And Rounders are the movies that I think about first. Not a big fan of the Bourne series. The Oceans movies are okay. Those are my four favorite Matt Damon movies, so I'm excited to talk about Rounders at the movies with the WD. Unless you're talking about Star Wars. Obi-Wan has taught you well. Movies aren't exactly Will's thing. I don't get it. You had cultured swine. But that's about to change because Josh can't stand it anymore. This is At The Movies with Will Dalton. The Panthers search can wait a few minutes. We need to talk movies the day after the Oscars nominations are announced. This movie got no Oscars love. Apparently was terrible in the box office for three weeks before Miramax pulled it in 98, and then it became a cult movie that a lot of people found after the fact, especially when World Series of Poker started to really take hold in popularity in the mainstream with Chris Moneymaker and others a few years after this movie's release. Some believe that this movie fueled the World Series of Poker, the poker boon in America. What did you like about Rounders 98? Well, I had high hopes for it because Casino Royale is one of my favorite movies. Big poker poker scene guy. There's a great scene at the end of that movie, yes. So, I thought it was kind of funny when he pulled up on the judges playing their card game early on. And predicted their hands. He predicted their hands. And then as he leaves, he's like, oh, I don't play poker. I kind of like that. The Oreos stuff. That's the thing that you like the most about Rounders? Well, it was a scene that I liked. Oh. Yeah. Okay. The, the Oreos, as the guys tell, I thought was kind of funny. Teddy KGB, um, the guy. 
And the fact that he also had an actual realistic hand at the end when he won. Yeah. That is because something that happens in a lot of movies. It's, I have three, or I have four kings. Well, I've got four aces. These ridiculous movie hands that if you ever play poker, you maybe get ten times in your life playing a thousand hands. Oh, yeah, that's just what I got. There is a realism to it. There what is. I liked is John Malkovich. Plain and simple. Everything he did and said was great. I I don't even know if the accent's good. That's it's, the thing. It's, I don't think but it is. But it's so iconic Yeah. that it's an amazing rewatch just for that reason. Because, think about it. Here's how you know it's an amazing performance. He's in the first five to ten minutes of the movie, and then in the final ten to fifteen minutes of the movie, and that's it. But you think about this movie, and you just think about John Malkovich. He's in the movie... For a tenth of it, tops? That's a remarkable feat. What didn't you like? I can't remember. Did we actually learn how he was able to predict the judge's hand in that one scene? Well, he's just really good. Like, he's is, a smart guy. Is that really realistic, though, that he would be able to predict that? Like, that's my whole thing. It's like, can, is that actually believable? That's a little more believable than him shooting down the smoking hot um, yeah. <laughs> uh, person that works at this poker place and apparently can remember World Series of Poker hands from 10 years prior and has nothing better to do than drink beer and hang out and watch poker with you. Right. Matt Damon saying, nah, I'll just see you later. I don't know if I buy that you, very much. You told me something earlier today that you actually were kind of mad on. In regards to the Oreos, is that is that where you were going to go here? Uh, because I did think that was interesting, nah, too. I mean, you got to remember, poker wasn't that big in the late 90s, so maybe not. Maybe this guy who's supposed to be the best poker player in all of Russia taking people down might have a better, a more subtle tell than Oreos. The, the Oreos that he eats or doesn't eat. No, I'm going with Gretchen Maul's character, the other woman in this movie, <laughs> the law student girlfriend. Every time she's on the screen, she's just a bummer. And it's not the actress's fault. It's the character's fault, whose only role in the movie is to tell Mike McDee, hey, you can't play cards. Are you playing cards? That's not good. Oh, we can't hang out anymore. You're not spending enough time. Like, really, the movie takes off and becomes good. The moment that she moves the heck out, gets out of Dodge, and he looks over at Worm, Edward Norton's character, and says, let's play some bleeping cards. Right. That's when the movie really takes off. I don't want to hang out with Gretchen Maul's character at all. I don't care about that angle. I just want to see him play cards. What's the best quote? Pay him. Pay that man his money. Yeah. Really, he beat me straight up. That's a good one. Hanging around. <laughs> Hanging around. Kids got alligator blood. I, really, it's just all his quotes. Play him. Yeah, Kanish has some. John Turturro, great actor. Matt Damon, obviously, has some good ones. You are right. I don't have the spades. There you go. Rotten Tomato score for rounders. Hmm. Let's try an 85. 87. Not bad. Not bad. Pretty good. And that's been At the Movies with the WD. The Drive with Josh Graham, only on WSJS. It's the sixth man of Tar Heel basketball, B-Dot, that's with us. If you want tickets to go see Pink or the Doobie Brothers, be a lifeline for me in grammar school. 336-777-1600. We will play grammar school in a bit. Dot. one thing I love about you, and this is something you and I have in common, we are not swayed all that much by public opinion and groupthink. There are many times you and I think 
truly feel something and believe something that might not be a popular sentiment. And you're the only one I see swimming upstream. And I think I agree with you when it comes to Taylor Swift and defending Taylor Swift amid all the crap that she's received from football fans the last few months. Why did you feel compelled to do so? Well, Josh, nothing chafes my chap like agreeing with you. But I will have to say, I just don't like the negativity going against Taylor Swift. I am not even a Taylor Swift fan. Don't even know much of her music. You are a huge Taylor Swift fan. So I've heard you talk about her and then you'll say songs. I'm like, I know that song. I know that. I don't, but I'm not considered a Taylor Swift fan. This situation has made me a Taylor Swift fan. Why? Because she's not just some stuck up chick that just is very famous and rich. No, she can let her hair down and have fun at a football game and scream and cheer for her boyfriend and do an awkward version of the swag surf. I don't understand why black folk always want to gatekeep the swag surf. Let people enjoy themselves at these sporting events, man. It's nonsense. But as it pertains to uh, uh, Taylor Swift, I'm a Swifty, man. I hope the Chiefs keep winning and she keeps enjoying herself. People confuse me because they act like she isn't Taylor freaking Swift. When we're at the basketball games and we're down there in, um, what's the guy, uh, 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 Paul, uh, he's dating uh, the chick that sings. What's her name? Oh, wait, what, what, what are you talking about? What's Rich Paul. Who's Rich Paul oh, dating? Adele. Adele. The music Adele. I can't stand. We see them sitting courtside all the time. <laughs> it's about f- football. Why are they showing us um, superstars in the press box? In basketball games, they do a whole commercial break showing us which celebrities are at the game, et cetera, et cetera. Taylor Swift is a super duper megastar, Josh Graham. If Beyonce was dating or married to Jay-Z and he played football professionally, they would show Beyonce in the press box. They're only treating Taylor Swift like this because she's right. Oh, where's where's Gary Hahn at? Well, we need to- Let's go to the sidelines, Tony Haynes. Uh, I, I will, the only thing I'll add to that is the ratings came out for Bill's Chiefs on Sunday. 56 million people watched that game. 8 million more than the next closest divisional game ever. Because it might be a Swifty sighting. That's, Listen, man, that's it. Just be honest about it. That's okay. Like, I don't understand why people have such a problem with it. It's not. A, it, they only show her if Travis Kelsey does something. Yeah. Travis Kelsey had six catches. They show her a maximum six times. And he hasn't done anything leading up to that game. I know. Because I got him for fantasy football. And he never hits when I do my prize picks. That's not here nor there, Josh. All I'm saying is leave Taylor Swift and us Swifties alone. Go Chiefs. On a related note, Dot's wife is also a Chiefs fan. Huge Chiefs fan. We're going to be in Baltimore this weekend, man. Whoa! Yeah, man, going to the AFC Championship game. You know we got people up there. Jimmy's tailgate? uh, Huh? You going to go to Jimmy's tailgate? Bro, you know Jimmy's is my people. I knew Shaq was going to be at the tailgate before it went to the mainstream. That is going to be amazing. And we're going to be sitting in a super Baltimore Ravens section. Two Chiefs fans or a Chiefs fan and somebody there rooting for the Chiefs with his wife. It's going to be a very interesting weekend. My buddy, speaking of uh, betting, sports betting becoming legal, uh, March March the 11th, we learned today, uh, Ariel Epstein, my buddy, is going to be at the Ravens game as well. Super Ravens fan. Going to be at that same tailgate. So make sure you get a selfie with me. I want to see it or with her so we can see it on social media. The tailgate is going to be dumb. It's it's going to be. Yeah, that's one way to to put it. Uh, BDOT, it's time to enter grammar school. Josh Graham has his own way of speaking. And just when you think it can't get any worse, Josh is going to attempt to learn B Dot's vernacular. I'm going to put one in the air. It's time for B Dot's Grammar School. Nobody better than B Dot. Pre game, during game, post game. Brought to you by Heritage Hardwood Floors. When it comes to flooring, they have no ceiling. And let me, let me start by saying, uh, Nolan Smith had a chance to catch up with him last Saturday, and he was telling me how lit things got at Winston-Salem State. He had never been to a Winston-Salem State game before. Yeah, man, he was in Winston. They had to play Wake, so he hit me up and said, y'all got a game tonight, Dot. You can plug me in. Come on, man. You know I'm the mayor of Trey Foe, mayor of Winston-Salem State University. Got him in at the last minute, man. He had a ball. That's how it always happened. Because I mean, Chris Paul got so close. Because even though he went to Wake Forest, I was a student at Winston-Salem State. He used to come over all the time. He used to be in the, he used to have a ball. Yeah. 
Heritage Hardwood Floors. Heritage Hardwood Floors! Heritage Hardwood Floors! When it comes to flooring, they have no ceiling. At Winston-Salem State, they have the floors there. Uh, Dot, I swear I had this written down before you said what you just said a second ago. This is kind of a review question. Can you name two Taylor Swift songs? Nope. <laughs> Not even going to try. Oh, come on, Dot. Can't do it. Can't do it. Cannot do it. I don't right, know do about do you, but I'm feeling. Hold on. Start, start over. Start over. Say it again. Start I don't over. know about you, but I'm feeling. Fine. 22. <laughs> Oh. 22. Shake it off. Let me try right, it, it off. Oh, shake it off. See? Shake it off. Shake it there off. There you go. I know that one. Give me another fill in the blank, Josh. Give me let another me, fill in the me, blank. Let me think of another uh, fill in the blank. Yeah, yeah. Give me another fill in the blank. Uh, Let me think. Oh, I'm going to go old Taylor Swift and be okay, like, uh, I, I, I'm trying to remember the lyrics to <laughs> some of these songs. Uh, How about... We'll do that at the end and okay. see if we can fill in the blank on some okay, of these okay. songs. What do you have to start off grammar school? Again, 336-777-1600. If you want to see the doobies in Raleigh this July or see pink in Raleigh in November, 336-777-1600. All right, your first word, Josh Graham. If a guy says, she's hit, she's hit, H-I-T, what does that mean? What is he saying about her? I'm going to say she's hit. I'm going to say they're saying not so nice things, that she's not attractive. That is 100% correct. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah I, want, I got a chick for you, WD, but she hit, though. She she hit. You probably don't really want to do that. Okay. Second for you, Josh Graham. If I tell you that somebody did a bid, what did they do? If they did a bid, that means they went to jail. That is correct, Josh Grant. And that is correct. Record time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm impressed. Thank you. I'm impressed. Let's roll through these. I'm feeling yep. hot. Don't, don't step one. off the mound. Keep throwing them in here. Josh, what is shake? Not shake it off. Nope, not shake it off. 336-777-1600. I need it. So close to going three for three by yourself in record time, Josh Graham. David Clemens, what is shake? What's up, JG? Uh, I think it's drugs. I think it's like the bottom of the marijuana bag of not so good stuff. Shake. Okay. When in doubt. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I'm going to go with that. It's the not-so-good drugs. As they said in Pineapple Express, it's the, 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 like, uh, the, the snickle fritz. That's, that's what shake is. That's 100% correct. That's hey! 100% correct. Hey! Let's go! The remnants at the end of the big bag of marijuana is shake. <laughs> all right, all right. Let me, let me try some Taylor Swift stuff here real quick. I love the way we can freely talk about drugs during this segment for three and a half years. It's, this is amazing. It's been longer than that almost. Uh, okay. Okay. Let's, let's try some of these. Okay. It's a... Blank, blank, baby, just say yes. It's a blank, blank, baby, just say yes. Yeah. It's a blank, blank, baby, just say yes. It's a magnum condom, baby, just say yes. Let's go to the sidelines, Tony Haynes. (laughs) Love story. Love story. That could be a love story. Let's go to the sidelines. Tony Haynes. Baby, we got bad blank. Baby, we got bad blood. Yeah! Yeah! That's a win. All right. We're going to go out on a win. Uh, Actually, I have a very important question I need to ask you. While we got you here, six man of Tar Heel basketball, B dot. Better not be nothing stupid about who's the best backcourt in the ACC. It is related to that. Yep. <laughs> Why does your fan base, unlike any fan base I deal with, have issues with other teams existing? 
no, no, you're not going to do that. We don't have a problem with other teams existing. We have a problem with you always trying to find a way to discredit the greatness that is in Tar Heel Blue. How is no this? what whoa, happens, whoa, whoa, you whoa, always whoa, trying whoa, to whoa, find whoa. a way to say, oh, you all are okay, but this people Hold are Hold one sec. Hold one sec. You this always all, do it, this You all, always do hold it. Hold one sec. This all started. Damari Monsanto came back. North Carolina wasn't even playing on Saturday. And all I said was, they're the best at backcourt in the ACC. I didn't say anything about Carolina. You didn't I, have to. And that, here's the, that, here's that, the thing, Dot. That is. That is talking about Carolina. If I wanted to be disrespectful, I could have said, and I think this, I don't even think they're second. I, I'll take Miami's backcourt before I take North Carolina's backcourt. Because, again, after RJ, the next best leading scorer is, is not even in the top 40. Of the ACC, which again, it's not all about scoring. I think Elliot. I, I, I think I think Elliot. I think I think Elliot's going to be great. I was saying Elliot should be Rookie of the Year in the ACC this year. I think they're that RJ is a National Player of the Year front runner. I think Hubert is a Coach of the Year front runner, and I've said this for weeks. But the moment I say one thing about Carolina not being the best at something, Carolina fans are like, "What? Other teams can have nice things too." Listen, man, you know how it goes. It's, it's a couple of things, Josh Graham. First of all, Carolina fans are coming off one of the most forgettable seasons of all time. You understand? Yeah. So we want everything this year. <laughs> we want all the accolades. We want all the wins. We want all the good press. We want it all, Josh Graham. That's it. We had to go a whole year. Nobody else can exist. Nobody, nobody else can have good things. Nobody. Last year, we gave y'all a whole year to have the best backcourts and front courts and coaches of the year and everything. This year? Oh, no, we want it back. Last year didn't exist. This is our year after going to New Orleans in our mind. This is that. I, I, love, I love your honesty so much. It's one of my favorite things about you. Um, okay, last thing. We got to pick out a movie for WD. Okay. His the four options. See, people won Armando T-shirts. Shout oh, out. No, my better still be at the damn studio too. You got to come get it. I'm gonna be through there, dang. Next next week, I, we'll we'll have Say that less. for you. Next ready, week, ready to go. Um, there the, it is. I see you, WD. Taxi Driver, Predator, Blood Diamond, and Whiplash are the four Predator. movies. Predator has 35% of the vote, too. I think we can make a ruling. Predator yeah. is going to be WD's movie yeah. for next week. Jesse yeah. Ventura's role in that movie, unforgettable. Just like, unforgettable. Uh, like 100, 100 clips into the forest blindly. <laughs> 80s action movies, man. Nothing. 80s top-tier action, baby. Nothing but explosions and blood and gore. Give me that.